song poker. Hello. Oh, watch ya. That's a very friendly introduction there. Mm. Very warm. This is a new show which we're going to call Song Poker because it's the name of a sketch we did and I really like it. And it kind of lends itself to what we're doing, which is just sort of talking about music, really. We're sort of poking our fingers into a musical pie. Do you visualise a pie? I was... As soon as you said poking, I was thinking of like a large balloon filled with like cold, dirty water. So music for you is an inflatable filled with water. (laughs) Everything for me is an inflatable filled with water. Music very much for me is represented by flaky pastry. Okay, well, fair enough. So I've got a quote here to kick us off. Can you stop your dog from quoting for a start? (laughs) (laughs) So, right, what do you think of this? Music is oxygen for the ears and food for the soul. Um, yeah, I mean, it's utterly meaningless to me, but it, it, it sounds like the kind of thing one should say at the start of a musical that's, podcast. So let's go yeah, that's exactly what I thought when I wrote it. Yeah. I thought it's been said a million times a lot better yeah. um, than I can. But um, it's that kind of vague, generic, pithy, because music is bloody important. You know, it's it's it is just for me at least. It's always there. I'm always listening to something, or I'm checking up on some band, and I always have done. And um, I I know we have a lot in common. I know we have huge points of difference, but there's just so much of it to talk about. And and I thought let's let's talk about all of music. So we're going to talk about all music. I mean, not today. Today we're just going to pick like one topic. Oh, but in general, going forwards, um, there's an awful lot of things we can discuss. I mean, I'll send you the spreadsheet. You can. Um, Blimey, you've created a spreadsheet. I've done. I know. I had. Well, I had this idea this morning, and I thought, you know, let's let's go home and make a spreadsheet. Because, well, hang on a minute. Where, where, let's uh, take a deeper uh, dive into this. Where, where were you when you had this uh, this epiphany? This I was... So I do a little loop around the block here. Right. And I go sort of the long way round to the supermarket, which yeah. is Harris Teeter. Yeah. Um, and I was pr- I, probably halfway along there. I go past... There's like an old farmhouse with a big grain silo. Yeah. And I think it was around about there that I thought, let's just do a show where we talk about our musical life. Because, frankly, what the world needs is two mid to, let's face it, (coughs) late 40-something white men talking about their musical tastes. There's a lot of podcasts out there where, you know, late 40-something white men talk about their love of, for example, I don't know, Bruce Springsteen, David Bowie... um, but I thought, why limit ourselves to one band or one topic? Because we could have we could have done a whole podcast series about you know U two or REM or musical youth. But I thought, let's let's point of difference. Let's do something new and original. Let's just talk about all of music. All of okay, yeah, fine. All of all of music. So so okay. So assuming we're not talking about all of music right now in the next i mean i've got about 45 minutes let's face it um okay uh, what are we what what do you want to talk about today well i suppose the obvious and probably slightly crass place to start Mm. would be to talk about kind of where we began with music and what the first albums we sort of consciously sought out or or bought would have been Good. Okay. Well, um, you you start, and I'll I'll think on it while I'm pretending to listen to you. <laughs> That's so. If you're if you're listening to this and you've listened to the stuff we do before, this is normally how it goes. Um, even during sketches which have been written. But never mind. Okay. So the first album I can remember wanting was uh, 1984's "Waking Up with the House on Fire" by Culture Club. Now. Okay. <laughs> now I didn't get it, so this doesn't really count because what happened was, and I don't know if this was a regular thing in those days, but there was a show on on probably Radio Two about a week after the album came out, where they played most of that album and interviewed the band. Yeah. And my dad, being sort of 
I don't want to say tight. I don't want to be critical. Being being creative, he thought to himself, oh, I don't know. I'll just tape all of the songs off of that. And what I ended up with was a cassette with about, I don't know, six or eight of the album tracks on it, all cut off by the DJ coming in at the end of songs in that way that DJs always did back when we were little. Yeah. So by 1984, Culture Club, and by the way, we should put this into context as well. You were born a day before me in October 1975. So you're sort of uh, nine, eight going on nine uh, at this point, yeah? Yeah. And is it fair to say by waking up with a house on fire, Culture Club were a little on the wane anyway? I mean, you've kind of missed the boat because Colour by Numbers was the better album. and and Colour by Numbers was their masterpiece, sure. But, you know, <laughs> you're, you're, you're confident about using that term masterpiece for Culture Club, yeah? I am. I am comfortably in the in the in the canon of everything Culture Club made. It was okay. one of their two best records. Um, but you know, I'd, I'd heard all those songs. I'd probably got all those songs taped off the radio. Karma Chameleon, um, some the of others. the other songs. Yeah. Church of the Poison um, Mind was uh, Church of the Poison my, Mind, uh, one of my faves. Um, yeah. So your 1984 um, uh, album had uh, the war song, which is, you know, of course, war, yep. war is stupid and people are stupid. People and, are stupid. And something means love nothing. Means, and, love means nothing in some strange quarters. Right. Which I think... That's a fine um, lyric. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's it starts poorly, but I think it sort of builds in profundity as it goes along. Oh. Um, sort of... To, to a level. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was yeah. It, it was after their their sort of imperial phase. It maybe it wasn't their strongest material. I think by this time, Boy George had made friends with Mister Smack. Yes, um, yes, but he hadn't yet taken to uh, locking a sex slave down in his uh, dungeon. I I'm going to question that because I think it was I think it was an upstairs flat. And I think he was chained to a radiator in his bedroom rather than it being a sort of subterranean location. Sorry, I let my imagination run riot when I heard about that story. I just assumed it was some kind of uh, hideous, dank, tawdry dungeon. Yeah. Um, Do you think... Do you think a lot of pop stars have tawdry, dank sex dungeons? No, I, I, I shouldn't uh, jump to conclusions there. You're absolutely right. Boy George um, uh, probably did chain it. But, but we at least can agree that he was kept um, captive against his will. There was there was certainly a degree of um, captivity. Yeah. Mm. Um, <laughs> anyway, the, you didn't the, know of this at the point in 1984 as a young nine-year-old wanting their f- desperately wanting their first album. Um, but why didn't you get that album? I think so. I think at the time, my parents probably thought I was too young to have money spent on that sort of thing. When what I what I really was into was toys and what I really needed was clothes. They probably thought he can wait for pop music. We'll just shut him up by taping it off the radio. Right. But you did have clothes at this point. I had nine clothes. Now I, yes. I, I had um, no culture club uh, on vinyl, not even I think singles. And I did have singles, um, quite a few singles but i didn't uh, i always had them on compilation albums um mm. and since then i've bought color by numbers um on vinyl but i don't have um wake up and smell the coffee what is it what's it called again w- waking up with the house on fire right yeah yeah um is there anything else you'd like to say about that album um no i think what i what i'm sort of tempted to do is listen to it again but um I mean, I, I'm, I said uh, that Boy George or Culture Club by this album was on the way, and that's perhaps a little unfair. And they had a sort of really quite a short window, didn't they? Uh, and of course, 1984 was a um, a big year for Boy George in terms of Band Aid. That's another category we'll have to talk about at some point. Oh, I'd love to. I think, um, and it was it was I a think... huge cultural icon. I mean, just going back then, I mean, the, the, just a really 
is one of the icons of the 80s, really, and, and huge Absolutely. across the pond as well. And an extraordinary figure in music. So let's, um, yeah, so Culture Club go on to make, I think, one more record in the 80s. Then they broke up for about 15 years. They came back with another, I think, a really good album in 99. Really? And, um, hmm. Yeah, and then they made another one about five years ago, which was terrible because for the first time ever, they forgot that a large part of their sound is reggae. So mm. they left the reggae out and that album um, was, I would say, lamentable. Mm. It's a bit like Aswad just sort of going all jazz, isn't it? You know, just neglecting the reggae. Anyway, uh, what are mine? Well, okay, so my earliest memory of buying albums so i had singles bought for me perhaps in the late 70s well i do remember buying elo's don't bring me down as a single however great single album wise i would have said it started in 81 and we know that i'm more advanced and and uh, cooler uh, than than you at any given point so i was probably absolutely six um when my first album came along which was um adam and the ants prince charming oh what a, what a, yeah wow look at that now he's actually holding it up i am holding it because this is the the very album and i've i've had it for well, nigh on 40 plus years and um you know part of oh and we should say what what format were you buying albums in 1984 by the way uh well i i I wasn't because I didn't get one, but I guess it would have been vinyl and my dad would have then taped it for me. So your dad was a vinyl guy? He was a, a, a very limited vinyl guy. He had, I would say, about 40, 40 centimetres of records. Right, okay. In in his in his hi-fi. Yeah. Um, so it was a lot of Beatles, a bit of ELO, yeah. um, and like whatever mum wanted which was the Beatles. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I had Adam and the Ants Prince Charming with its, um, you know, marvellous uh, double gatefold um, opening with a splendid picture of the ants in formation going down what looks like a sort of, sort of, sort of crudely constructed neoclassical ballroom. Yeah, looking rather glamorous and to be honest i think i was a little bit in love with adam and indeed the ants i mean uh was gary tibbs and terry lee Mayel, the the drummers very very glamorous so i, I always thought that marco peroni was a little bit of a, a bloater and no amount of makeup mm. could save him with that but um no. you know they were a good looking bad and adam adam himself was was incredibly glamorous so for me as a five six year old he he looked sort of out of this world much like uh, boy george uh, would uh, a couple of years later and of course um uh, for this album uh, adam had some really fantastic looking uh, pop videos you know prince charming and stand and deliver were great um were great videos and the final track on side two was um sex which um i had no idea about no no idea so is that where you where you you know is is that what taught you everything you you needed to know about SEX? Did you mm, no, did you no actually? And I don't know if I uh, ever listened to that track because of course the um, the singles were the only things that got played. Even though I also have the singles at the time. Um, so yes, this that's that was my first album, Prince Charming by so, the Ads. So I, yeah, I mean, so I loved. Prince Charming, and it was, as you say, it was a, an era where pop stars were just more iconic than they are now when they turn up in their jeans and their shirts with their ordinary haircuts. You know, people looked amazing. There was a girl round the corner from me called mm. Michaela, mm. who would have been about two or three years older than me, mm. who had the adamant costume. Mm. Um, and that was... You know that wow, that was a, a mind blower. But I'm not really familiar with the with the record. So beyond Stand and Deliver and Prince Charming, what are the other sort of highlights on that? Uh, well, uh, having a look at it, there was Mile High Club, and then of course I, I suppose the other single was um, Ant Rap, 
Um, yeah. Uh, Prince Charming was on uh, on side one, and then I don't remember what the first track is called. Scorpios. Um, either they've forgotten the N on it, or it's a sort of some sort of ode to people born within that star sign. Scorpio. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then track two is one of the most new romantic sounding songs ever. Picasso, Visitor El Planeta uh, de los Simios. I mean, you might, you might get this idea that I haven't listened to this album in 40 odd years. Sure, it sure. It graced my shelf without yeah. being played. And I do play vinyl still quite often. Yeah, yeah. But that one in particular but this one has kind of, kind of waned. It's gathering dust. Did you sort of persist with your adamant fandom or was that kind of the beginning and the end? Uh, I, I think it was it was short lived. Uh, he was uh, usurped by Shaken Stevens pretty quickly, I think. Um, and and then, of course, by the time he's, um, you know, losing his mind and bringing guns into a pub. you know, Just you had no time for him. No time for him. Well, so the next one that I wanted to talk about that I do remember getting the cassette of, ah. <clears throat> and it's it's another embarrassing one. There was so much great... Well, actually, that's a lie. I was going to say there was so much great music in the 80s, but I'm really not sure, thinking about it, that that is true. Oh, I would. But, uh, I, that's a hill I would die on. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. The, 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 the love of the 80s music hill is something I would uh, nail myself to. And um, gladly die on. <laughs> okay, well, you can you can gladly die. So mm. in 1987, the first album I can remember asking for and getting was Bridge of Spies by Tapau. Right. So let's let's talk about that because we have to. <laughs> yeah, I'm sensing you're not like a fan. I I was never a fan of Tapau, um, and even less so now that they're on the sort of um, the uh, the eighties retro circuit. Yeah, it's it is tragic. Um, are Adam and the Ants on that circuit? I I don't think he's uh, able to uh, perform um, on any kind of circuit at the moment. I don't know. Maybe I'm doing an injustice. No. Maybe, you can probably you probably already know this, but I think. So what am I? I'm about 10 or 11 when this comes out. And I think half of it is I really love the brilliance and the orchestral sounds of their music. Mm. And half of it is that I really fancied Carol Decker. I think that's true of all your music taste. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's probably true. You're torn between the production values of Tapau circa 1987 and the flame-headed beauty of, of Carol Decker. Um, okay. I think, you know, I mean, she would probably have been, what, in her early to mid-20s at that point, and she sort of represented the the unattainable allure and, and glamour of older women, you know, with the, the double denim and maybe she had a little awful cloth cap, you know, it was just a, a, a world away from me and my primary school. It was uh, but unimaginable. The, so 87, you're a sort of, um, you're, you're nascent, pu- pu- nascent pubescent? Na- nascent pubescent. Nascent pubescent. Yeah, that, nascent. That's an album title. <laughs> nascent pubescent. pubescent. Um, so 1987, your nascent puberty uh is being awoken by Carol Decker. Who else, though? Um, Kylie, obviously. Okay. Blonde. I want to say Patsy Kensit. Yeah, Patsy yeah, Kensit. I know you want to say it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's pretty much it for. Oh, and and the actress Lisette Anthony, but she wasn't really a yeah a not, musical we'll, we'll, presence. That that'll be for another um, podcast, the Lisette Anthony podcast that we would devote perhaps six yeah, or yeah, seven yeah. episodes to. Yeah. Because um, wasn't, sure. wasn't she good in uh, Brushstrokes? She was good in everything. Yeah. Although, sadly, none of it seems to be available now. I've been searching various Eastern European websites looking for downloads of some of her works, but you can't find it for love or money. Hence the delay in our Lisa Anthony podcast. Absolutely, but it will happen. Yeah. All that material, 1994's The Hard Truth with Michael Rooker, it will come out again and we will get it and all will be right with the world. Yeah. But yeah, but th- so 
So, you know, there, there were probably a couple of tracks on, on that album that were fine. And So China In Your Hand was the, the big single. I mean, yep. I, uh, I'm not sure how long that's spent at number one, but it was... I want to uh, say six weeks, but that's a complete guess. Okay, well, uh, any other singles from it? Um... So there was one about cleaning up in the monkey house. That um, doesn't sound right, but I'll... I'll um, we're going to clean it. up in the monkey house, clean up in the monkey house clean up in the monkey house tonight that may or may not be how it goes that's just all i can remember there were oh heart and soul that was another single. oh heart and soul was the single before china yeah and yeah slightly uh unusually um okay that's interesting um apparently China in Your Hands uh, was uh, voted in 2017 as uh, one of the 21 best power ballads uh, in the Daily Telegraph. And if that's not accolade enough... (laughs) That's a very specific and niche, you know, of all the power ballads, the ones that get into the Daily Telegraph. Yeah. It kept George Harrison's Got My Mind Set On You, which I think is, frankly, the superior single, off the number one spot. Yes, I think you're right. Um, but, you know, how often does the wrong song get to number one? Oh, weekly. I, I mean, yeah, pretty much. Mm. I don't know if number ones are even still a thing. I mean, Yeah. I mean, apparently uh, it's, it's a Bridge of Spies, which is your album of, uh, of choice for this section. Um, yep. The, the yep. version of that is not... Um, the version that they released as a single. Uh, so they re-recorded it. So if you bought Bridge of Spies, uh, you're not getting the single. You're not getting the superior version. Now, see, I I didn't appreciate that at the time. And finding it out now, it doesn't in any way undercut the affection that I have for that record. Right. Um, but it would have been nice to have had the full, you know, package. Um, so lyrically, that song, I know nothing about yep. the album, mm. really, mm. Uh, unfortunately, which is um, a shame because that's well, what we're well, let's, to be talking about. Let's just say, if if you imagine like a, a mountain on, say, a very wide screen desert plain, then the top of that mountain represents the sort of bell curve of how good China in Your Hand is compared to everything else on the record, which was less. So it's, it's effectively Mount Kilimanjaro. Everything else around it is just the yep. flat it's, plains yep. Yep. and one peak. Well, I think that's a little bit unfair, but okay. Um, apparently there's um, illusions made in the song uh, to Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. So uh, perhaps Carol Decker uh, was a Mary Shelley fan. So that puts Carol Decker in that sort of Kate Bush league of, of sort of artists who are inspired by great works of literature. Yeah, but I think that's where the comparison should end. Yeah, I mean, Kate Bush had dark hair, didn't she? Yeah, I'm not talking... uh, Yeah, I mean, I'm just not sure that you can put them in the same musical pantheon. And if you did, I would probably try to push you in some kind of bear pit and fight you uh, naked until death. Yeah, I mean, so... Kate Bush is a topic that I earmarked for a future episode of of song poker right. whereas carol decker i i didn't and yet you're willing to raise her now <laughs> I'm, well i'm raising her now because we're looking at our embarrassing early sort of early daubings so you had this on cassette and and yes. and, and can you speak a, a little as to the um the pleasures of uh playing a cassette album as opposed to uh having it on vinyl for example or you could have had the nascent technology of cd at this point i believe in 87 just about well i mean not in our not in our house you were poor um we were it i both my parents smoked and that i think is probably where most of the money went um i didn't know your parents smoked and by the way i know oh yes uh, you know you uh, you were horribly middle class but um uh, but i didn't know <laughs> i mean i i come from a, a smoking uh house so my my home was full of music as a youth or or so i remember now um but it was also um full of smoke it was a, a smoke-filled sarcophagus so yeah uh, yeah. yeah often uh, listening to music and hacking up your lungs 
because of the Benson and Hedges, uh, go hand in hand. Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, my, like I said, my dad's musical collection or musical collecting pretty much stopped when his kids came along. Mm. So I just feel like maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Into the valley, Mark. The yeah, yeah, that was the... Like, oh, I'm done with this now. This is mm. this is awful. No, I think... I just don't think it was that important to them. So it didn't really trickle down to us. The first CD player in the house was... I think I was about 15. Well, it was 91 because it was after Freddie died. Um I say Freddie like we were close friends. Freddie Mercury. We're the not family friends. dog. I never met him. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So cassettes were what you had and they were, you know, fine apart from every time you try and play one and it chews up or spits it out. But, you know, you could, you could, you could, you could play them. You could fast forward them. Mm. You could rewind them. Now you can't do that with. Uh, any other format uh, well yeah i mean it got to a point where uh record players actually did have the sort of um ability to uh press repeat and uh you know press a button and have it rewind mm. the song and things so, uh but there were there were very few and far between so yeah most of them were sort of just sort of very very analog procedures um my dad wouldn't let me buy anything on tape and as much as i'd uh, wanted to he, he, he just he didn't see the point so we had tapes but they were purely for recording on and i would record right. the top 40 uh studiously but um yeah he would never allow me he didn't see the point because i could buy because a vinyl and then and then tape make it, a tape of it make yeah, a tape yeah. of it he said the vinyl was the um was was the the better format um, and I respect that. I didn't agree at the time, yeah. but I, I respect that now. He's, and I, I did not, not have a single bought tape, recorded tape. Good lord! Mm. What a thing to say. Mm. Um, so, what's your what's your second choice? Uh, my second uh, is chart hits eighty one. So again, we're going back to eighty one, um, and this would have been my my second and third album because they came in two volumes, a red and a blue one. And I I, I remember getting this for Christmas eighty one, along with some Star Wars figures. Um, Fantastic, indeed. And and there's some great tracks. If you'll allow, I'll just sort of read out some. Um, Please do. However, much like the Adam and the Ants album, most of these didn't get played. I would have been a sort of, not a creature of had there, but I, I knew what I liked when I was yep. six. And, yep. um, those and that's songs, still pretty much what you what you go for. And now. what I still listen to now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yes. So, for example, there are some dreadful singles on here that would have got a lot of play and some really good tracks for example, like Just Can't Get Enough by Depeche Mode. Um, oh, there's a song called Heart and Soul by Exile. Uh, I don't know that oh. song. Uh, but anyway, other other tracks. Um, the Birdie song by The Tweets. Uh, yeah. Huge hit at the time. It's My Party yeah. with um, Dave Stewart, Barbara Gaskin. Uh, Open Your Heart by Human League. Now, Human League had an incredible year in 81, of course, don't you want me? Uh, but their their album Dare came out. I didn't have Dare at the time. I liked Human League very much, but I guess Dare was a little bit too cool an album for me to buy. At this point, I still liked listening to ABBA, Lay All Your Love On Me, which is on this album. Um, a track that I definitely didn't like at the time, but I absolutely love now, which is Bill Wyman's Sissi Je Suis and Rockstar. Uh, which I think is glorious. Yes, I love that. It's, yeah. a, it's a guilty pleasure, though, isn't it? It's and, a very guilty and not pleasure. just because of not just because of Bill Wyman. <laughs> Indeed, uh, <laughs> he enjoyed many guilty pleasures of his own. Um, Kids in America uh, by Kim Wilde. Yes. That's just on Volume One, Ian. I mean, you know. Wow. Yeah. So, phew. Volume Two had Squeeze, Smokey Robinson, Michael Jackson, Godly and Cream, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. Toya, I mean, Toya. Wow. Back when she did music and not, you know, programmes about your, your fanny. <laughs> My fanny? <laughs> not yours specifically, oh. but people's. She did some kind of Channel 4 
sex program she did yeah she did i like toya i like watching her on um social media when she and her husband robert fripp the great guitarist of mm. uh, bowie's band time, uh they yeah. just sort of muck about i like yes uh, toya and fripp muck about yeah so what do you say that compilation was called well, so this is called chart hits 81 and i think within chart two hits. years that franchise which was released by Ktel, which of course you know uh, did some great tv adverts at the time um that was uh supplanted by uh, by the now that's why i call music um franchise yes uh but at the time chart hits was my go-to compilation for that year it's just made me remember um <laughs> the first compilation tape i got uh and there's no easy there's no way to dress this up it was something that you could only get <laughs> through the milkman oh. and it was a compilation album called bottle poppin 86 wow um and i remember that had depeche mode on it as well i yeah. think yeah stripped I can't remember anything else that would have been on that or why my parents would have bothered to save up whatever it would have been, 10, 20, 100 silver tops in order to get me the the, the cassette. But they yeah. did, and that was nice. That's a, that's a brave yeah. venture, though, isn't it? Because, I mean, you know, by 86, now, the now franchise was firmly ensconced uh, and for the milkman to dare <laughs> for for the you know the associated dairy or asda as we now know them mm. to to have thought we can take on the might of the now albums it seems quite extraordinary it's a a vainglorious yeah almost futile attempt really it is. So did you get any more of the chart hits compilations or was that was that your No, I, well I don't think so. I think that that was it and then uh, and then I would have also had um the hit maybe it was it became hits. I don't know. I haven't uh, but but um I had the hits albums. Uh but yeah, 83 I had now that's why I call music. The next one that I categorically remember getting because obviously this was a long time ago and I'm you know, quite old, and my memory is not what it was, and at the time I wasn't really paying attention. But the next album I can remember wanting and buying, and I would have bought this, I'm pretty sure, with my paper round money, 1988, Bon Jovi, New Jersey. Well, I mean, am I going to just sit back now and listen to you wax lyrical about the Jove uh, for the next I, three, four hours? I mean, I mean, don't. You know, by all means question me and say you know why did you buy that um you know you know express yourself well uh, no okay so first first my first question would be uh you didn't buy slippery when where um no um i became aware of bon jovi in the i want to say the, the the first sort of term of the second year at big school because essentially there was a girl and yeah, it's always about the girl. So, so her name was Leanne, and she had this lovely wavy brown hair, and mm. she always wore lipstick and loads of eyeshadow and stuff. Um, a bit like Richie Sambora, really. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, she was a bit like Richie Sambora, mm. but 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 really sexy. Mm. And uh, you know, my my attempts at seduction were very much I, I like Doctor Who, um, and she walked off. So. I had to find out through the grapevine what she was into, and it was very much Bon Jovi. So I thought, right, bit of research. I will go and get one of their records, and that's what that that's what I did. That's a lovely story. But again, if I can take you back to '86 and Slippery When Wet, where the yeah. hell were you in 1986 when they released Slippery well, I, When Wet? I was listening to Bottle Pop in '86. Clearly, <laughs> I was fucking hell. I, I was listening to. In, <laughs> Even entering into this podcast with you, it's pathetic. It it will get better as we as we approach the end of the eighties, and I start giving a damn about music. It, the my end of things will pick up. Okay. Um, I just wanted to find out what Bon Jovi was all about, and when you're whatever I would have been twelve or thirteen, yeah, you know, I just listened to whatever was on the radio, which was Curiosity Killed the Cat and Aha and you know that kind of thing yeah so 
project. So hard rock, or as as we would now categorise it, pop music, mm. like Bon Jovi made, was, was a real kind of leap into a whole different dimension musically. Mm. It's a record that I, of, of all of Bon Jovi's records, it's still probably the one that I'd listen to um, and know all the words to and have what young people call feels about, but they're nostalgic feels rather than maybe a, a, a reaction to the relative merits of the music. And the singles from uh, New Jersey, uh, what were they? Remind us. Oh, well, Bad Medicine, Lay Your Hands on Me, Born to Be My Baby, oh, Blood on Blood would have been a single. Um, I want to say they put out five, but I, I could Five singles? Do they think they're Michael Jackson? <laughs> That's outrageous. They, they, they probably didn't think they were Michael Jackson. The arrogance of the band, we can, we can firmly lay at John's door. I think mm. Richie Sambora... Um, I I will go on record as saying I think he was the talent in the band. Um, what year did he release "Stranger in This Town" as the solo? Nineteen ninety one. Oh, okay, that's a bit later. And that, I mean, that feels like it was. It, that yeah. was about three years too late, though, doesn't it? You know, ninety one. I mean, and you're releasing "Ballad of Youth." It sounds like it should have been made in 1987, 88, yeah. Well, we'll we'll talk more about that on the episode, What Are Your Very Favourite Songs of All Time? Um, oh, wow. But, <laughs> <laughs> but again, wow. again, feels rather than meritocracy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it was, wasn't it? And they, they were and they always were. And they tried to do something different in the 90s and then they tried to do very much the same thing every couple of years in the noughties. Um, but this was kind of the the dying ebb of, I think, Bon Jovi as a credible creative band before they just became formula monkeys. Yeah. Uh, the, you know. I, I mean, but- I, I, I just... <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to say to that last statement, but I, I, I'm going to... Uh, um, I mean, you know, who am I? I'm not. I'm no arbiter of taste. I'm no sort of. Everyone, everyone liked some terrible, heinous crap when they were young. Oh God, yes. Um, some people grow out of it. Other people double down on it. Sure, you know, even as a forty-eight-year-old. Oh yeah, no, I still listen to some shocking nonsense. Mm. No, I just mean y- you. You've identified New Jersey as as the the last album where they are a creative force. Of a, a bona fide, valid, artistic, creative force. Oh well, I mean, the next two, to a to a lesser extent, they've kind of lost a lot of their rough edges, and they all the songs kind of sound the same, and the instruments are the same, and it's all very much aimed at mums by the mid nineties. Bed of roses. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, uh, it's all it's all that kind of limpy balladry. Whereas, bad medicine was just a great fun pop track. Bearing in mind I'm 13 when I'm hearing this, yeah. Yeah, I know, I agree. I agree. I agree. I mean, the the, the point where, uh, so what their next album, would that have been Keep the Faith? That was. Uh, Where they employed Anton Corbin for that sort of like moody uh, black and white. Yeah, we we want to be credible kind of album cover. This is interesting. Uh, Anything else to say about um, uh, New Jersey? Called New Jersey, of course, because um, uh, it's a, a homage to Springsteen. <laughs> I thought it was. I thought it was John had been out to buy a new jumper, and he was so pleased with it. <laughs> he named his record after it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think you know it's it's not maybe a a sensible record, but really nothing that we've talked about today has been you know part of the the canon of of great music but no. you know it's what you react to when you're a child and you react to explosions and bright colors and loud noises and yeah um, sweets well let me take um, let me take you back to 81 again briefly if i if i can because you know we're talking about great albums and uh this was the year where there, there weren't too many great albums let's face it uh <laughs> making movies by dire straits there was a phil collins one i think as well was it but seriously i can't remember uh but my my final choice of album uh 
again is 81 because the remit was our first albums now this is an album i didn't i don't claim to have owned uh or even listened to however it's an album i really remember damaging uh and it belonged to my uncle and i was uh young as you know five six years old and i put uh, a wet cup on the album sleeve and it left a ring and i was told off i was um i was i was made to cry because i damaged this uh, this album um and it will be forever wow. uh, synonymous with that so right so what was the album that you so viciously defiled um well i mean it shames me to this day really um uh, that it was um cliff richards wired for sound don't laugh so i'm laughing because i'm not aware of his individual album titles but i love the idea of him because if you told me there was an album called wired for sound i'd assume it was someone like you know acdc or def leopard or yeah someone you know like that yeah and i think he's really channeling that energy is is he I have no idea. I mean, uh, I don't know the album at all. I just uh, it just sort of sends shivers down me that I, I, I um that I damaged it. I do know the song "Wired for Sound" from that album. Do, do you uh, do you know it? It's, no, it's a it's a great song um, and a fantastic video where he's on roller skates. I don't know how old he is at this point. When was he born? 1940? Was he born in the 30s? 18-something, I don't know. 18-something. So he's probably 130 at this time. And um, he's roller skating around Milton Keynes. Um, But Milton Keynes is this sort of like future scape. Um, uh, with a with a lot of dolly birds on roller skates, um, with big sort of eight, was it an eighties thing with a big eighties hair or? Well, it's kind of it's early eighties. It's so, going to be that um, sort of disco kind of. He's still channeling the uh, the disco thing, definitely, yeah. and um, but but it's it's an amazing payen to payen payen is that the word um, to to music um, because he just he's wired for sound so he's he's listening to an early walkman right uh, he's got headphones and and a, and a tape player on so his the belt. so specifically the wire he's talking about is the headphone cable well yeah but then he talks about in fact, in fact i think the single ends with him saying how much he likes speakers he likes tall speakers small speakers wall speakers most of all he likes loud speakers right right you know that's that's part of the song it's an extraordinary song um yeah i don't know whether i damaged the vinyl itself or whether i just damaged the, the sleeve but i've always mean it you know th- this podcast is is somehow an apology to my uncle for for damaging it do you want to dedicate the show to your uncle i do t- i want to i, I, I want to and um, to Cliff Richards, or no, God, God, no, no, because is, yeah. you know, I'm I'm sitting here listening to this kind of, um, and I know I know you need the catharsis of of free therapy, mm. but I would regard defiling a Cliff Richard album as not a bad thing. Mm. I mean, I think yeah, it shows I mean... great taste. <laughs> you know you thought well this this album's good for putting a wet cup on yeah if if nothing else i mean presumably you know was there anything else of note on it or or or, or not what that i left on it no uh, just uh, just the cup just the no. wet cup but there was nothing or, or else about recorded the songs. Or, yeah, I've, yeah. Got no, I've got no idea i mean maybe maybe i'll visit it but it's i think it's too soon it's too still it's still too raw too painful yeah yeah, yeah. um and this However, is this is Cliff before he went all all Christ, right? I mean, by I the, think he's always been all. Well, Christ, there's always been an element of 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 the Lord about him, but there was that kind of run of um, sort of late eighties, early nineties, where he'd put out one single every year, two weeks before Christmas, in a sort of blatant attempt to get the Christmas number one. I'm thinking of yeah. mistletoe and wine. 
I really yeah, wish of I was. Saviour's Day. Yeah, oh, um, geez, Saviour's Day. I mean, you know, he, he did that single with um, Van Morrison as well, and God Shines His Light. Um, yeah, all horrible, horrible tracks. Um, yeah, uh, Wire for Sound is still in that same um, mould of easy listening, I guess, that, you know, he was pumping out in the late 70s to great acclaim. No, yeah, yeah. not to well, great acclaim, to great popularity. Acclaim. Yes. Uh, we don't talk anymore, Devil Woman, that kind of thing. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. uh, which I think history will be kinder to after um, after a little more time. Um, Should he ever, you know, cross to the other side? However, I would like to point out this late stage in our first podcast about music. You know, we we could have chosen perhaps a, a cooler way of introducing ourselves and our musical tastes. In the end, we've talked about Cliff Richard to Powell and Adam and the Ants. Yeah. And and I feel a little bit dirty because of it. Well, there's a number of things we could do. We could could put this out as episode two. Mm -hmm. We could put this out on the same day as an episode dedicated to someone credible. Yes. Um, Or or we could put this out with a kind of pre-recorded caveat that this is just a kind of proof of concept chat about shit records i'm in favor of completely pulling the wool over the audience's eyes and saying we go into a deep dive on uh talking heads um oh, okay or or the cbgb scene of the late 70s in new York. right okay um get that real niche sort of thing going on where we're, yeah. you know, we're talking the ramones here and okay. and actually then they have to listen to us talk absolute shit about what our six-year-old tastes were so in the show notes i'm gonna write something completely you know like you just said about about the new york scene um yeah but actually we'll we'll put this out and um do you think anyone would come back for episode two depends what episode two is you know i suspect yeah. you might want to talk about bon jovi some more and i, I would really uh, <laughs> counsel against it i feel in many ways that that part of my life is you know obviously very much over but in terms of music as a nostalgic yeah as a nostalgia delivery system there is a lot to talk about there i'm only interested in music as a nostalgia delivery system to be honest that's all i'm interested yeah. in these days yeah um and i'm very happy to continue in that vein so i suspect we'll lose listenership uh but who gives a fuck it will be hard at this point to imagine having any fewer listeners I don't know if I can offer anything regarding K-pop or Taylor Swift. No. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm aware of them. Yes. Uh, but I, I, I'm not sure I can speak to them. D- well, Or indeed to their fans. No, but, and again, we, we just need to listen to a bit of it because we've been listening to music for a long time. We know what works, we know what doesn't work. And we can react to it as if we were doing like an audio commentary for a, a new movie or something. We could do, but I, I mean, you know, I, 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 again, I'm no arbiter of, uh, of taste, really. I mean, obviously it works. I mean, Taylor Swift's ear is towards, you know, that the movie is, is doing massive business. She's a billionaire. What right? What? what can i possibly add to the mythology of taylor swift you could you could secretly date her in a media baiting kind of way and that would be adding to her mythology okay yes it would certainly it would certainly do that yeah you could you you would question start some hell she is doing well it'd be like a bit of britney spears shaving her head moment taylor swift dating this old fool you know yeah, but I mean, you know, you, you just need to, you know, put out a few clues online, allude to it. There doesn't even need to be like a photograph or any proof. Just as long as the speculation is there, then I think people will gravitate towards you. So you're advocating the idea, so as, as, as well as uh, lying about the content of this podcast yeah. to make us seem more cool and uh and listenable yeah um you're also suggesting that i claim i'm dating 
Taylor Swift. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I'm okay. You do the copy on that yep, then. I'll, I'll, um, uh, I'll, I'll go with I'll it. I'll do that. I'll put something out I'll, on um, on the yeah. internet. Yeah. Can we at least give um, an idea as to what the next episode might be about, just to sort of wet the whistle of uh, to pique the interest of of our of our listenership, our growing listenership? Well, I've I've picked out a bunch of topics. We could we could talk about some classic albums, or we could pick a favourite band that we both like, or we could pick someone that you like and I don't like, or vice versa, and have more of an argument kind of thing. Mm. It's going to be one of those kind of episodes. But okay. um, at this time, because we haven't chosen it, because I haven't been able to send you my spreadsheet of options yet. Yeah. And that's because the other MacBook is charging up at the moment. So I need I need to okay. be on that one to be able to share the document. All right. Okay, let's, let's just say, and we won't, but for the sake of argument, <laughs> we're going to discuss um, David Coverdale and Whitesnake. Brilliant. Absolutely. In, in like massive detail. Forensic. In, in forensic detail. Granular coven, coven, yeah. Coverdale. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, or, uh, what was the, what was the woman he uh, cast in the, mo- in the, in, in the pop videos and then married? Patricia Routledge. <laughs> no, no I, I don't think she was ever into uh, White David Snake. Coverdale. No, probably not. Uh, like Tawny Kitten. Tony Kitane. Tony Kitane. Yeah. I mean, if I had to go out on a, a limb, I'd say that was like a porn name. If I had to go out on a limb, it would be Tony Kitane's limbs <laughs> in that video. Right. Okay. Well, that's a very good place to pick up next time then, I guess. I'll, I'll watch that Excellent. video tonight a couple of times. Yeah. And, um, and so, everyone, uh, next week we will be discussing uh, uh, David Coverdale the Coverdale Residence, uh, the Coverdale Resonance, not resident, uh, and uh, and and White Snake. Good, and, and probably some other stuff as well. Yeah, I, mean, I don't want to talk about yeah. David Coverdale. I've, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you a thing about them. <laughs> Song Poker was produced by Electric Sodcast Studios.